I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author Julie Lithcott-Hames. Her new book is Your Turn, How to Be an Adult. What does it mean to be an adult? In the 20th century, psychologists came up with five markers of adulthood. Finish your education, get a job, leave home, marry, and have children. Since then, every generation has been held to these same markers. Yet so much has changed about the world that uh, this sequence was formulated. All of those markers are choices, and they're all valid. But any one person's choices among those lines do not make more or less of them as an adult. Julie Lithcomb-Hames has encountered hundreds of 20-somethings and 30-somethings, too, who follow those markers, uh, feel they're just playing the part of adult while struggling with anxiety, stress, and general unease. She has degrees from Stanford, Harvard Law, and Cal Arts, and she is a New York Times bestselling author of How to Be an Adult, and which gave rise to a popular TED Talk. Welcome to the show, Julie. Nice to have you on the show today. Catherine, thanks so much for having me. Really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, this is going to be a really good conversation because... I first have to say, I mean, you're talking about, you know, we don't have to follow those markers that I mentioned in the beginning. But in truth, um, I'm reading your resume and I'm thinking, well, but, you know, Julie, I mean, she, Stanford, Harvard, Cal Arts, this is someone who truly is the adult that my parents would have wanted me to be or wanted me to be. These are the, you know, you are the sort of the poster child for that. Um, so let's start with that because, um, most people can't achieve the kinds of things that you do in adulthood or being an adult. You know, I'll acknowledge that I've gone to some schools that are, uh, big brand names and schools that, uh, people might dream of their kids going to, but I could just as easily be an expert here on your show, having gone to completely different schools or not having gone to college at all, um, my point is that successful, happy people have had all different kinds of preparation for life. Some go to trade school. Some don't go to college. Some go to community college and out into the workplace. Some go to the military. Some do go to a four-year college. Um, it really isn't about the place you go to or the brand name attached to your resume, but who are you? What are your skills? How good are you at bouncing back from adversity? How good are you at knowing yourself so you can make choices around work and relationship in furtherance of what you want out of this life? My new book, Your Turn, is centering the individual reader saying there's no right track. There's only the track that's right for you. And I'm rooting for each reader to really make their own way. There is a concept that you described of adulting. What does that mean? What is that phenomenon? How does that fit into the picture? Well, Catherine, I don't know how old you are, but I'm a Gen Xer, and I remember when millennials began saying, I don't know how to adult. Adulting is hard. Adulting is scary. I don't want to adult. And I felt for them. I was a college dean at the time working with millennials who were 18 to 22 on my campus, and I thought, oh, no, uh, what? wait a minute, adulthood, which is what I would have called it, or what you call adulting, is amazing. 
Why? Because you're in charge of yourself. You are no longer being bossed around, pushed around, directed <laughs> through life, even in the most lovingly intended way, by a set of parents who think they know what you should do. It's now up to you, kid. So why aren't you excited about this freedom, this independence? Oh, and yes, there's some responsibility that comes with it. But hey, I think the trade-off is well worth it. So millennials invented the term. It, they turned adult into a verb. And frankly, I think um, it's their fear of entering this stage of life, those of us who are older just naturally entered, often with glee, I think their fear is based on two systemic factors. One, they're more likely to have been overparented in childhood, meaning parents did handle every tiny thing. They filled out forms for them. They talked to adults for them. They arranged their play. Everything in life was handled for them, almost like they were a little dog on a leash. So, yeah, going off leash does feel scary the first time. And that's not their fault. That's how they were raised, many of them. The second thing is macroeconomic factors have conspired against millennials and now Gen Z, right? The uh, wages and salaries have not kept up with cost of living in many metropolitan areas, and they're likely to be saddled with student loan debt, which has outpaced inflation. So this is not their grandfather's young adulthood. Grandparents are notorious these days for saying, get a job. When I was your age, I already owned a house. It's like, yo, grandpa, things have changed. I, I respect the fact that these changes have made it harder for a young person to imagine leaving home and making their way. But I'm still here with plenty of advice about, yes, you can do it. And here's how. And I think uh, to go along with what you're saying, I mean, you talked about, or I said in the beginning, we're talking about 20-somethings and even 30-somethings. And by the time people become 30-something, there's so much pressure to do exactly what you're saying, to become that adult, to become the perfect adult. That, that word keeps coming, you know, you've got to be the perfect person and you have to do all those things in the house and the kids and all of that. Things are changing just because the external world is changing, as you mentioned, economically. And also, as a result, and I always seem to bring COVID into my conversations, but since COVID happened, the work situation has changed and the way adults participate in the work world has changed. You can stay home. You don't have to go to a nine to five job, all of those kinds of things. That must have that. Don't you think that will or do you think that will have some impact on what we're talking about and, and sort of the pressure to become the adult in that, like your parents or even your grandparents. Yeah, absolutely. Let's pause and acknowledge COVID and all of the disruptions of our most recent years. It has left all of us, Catherine, you and me, I don't want to speak for you, but I know it's left me bewildered. I'm yes. 54 and I'm going like, wait a minute, you know, wait, wait a minute. I've got a 22-year-old. I've got a 20-year-old. I'm paying a lot of attention to how young adults are faring. Yeah, this has been a massive um, shift for all of us. At best, it's been a shift. At, at most, it's been uh, traumatic and violent and, and certainly life-altering. And yet, I would say to any young person listening, believe it or not, these are not the worst of times. Your ancestors have most likely been through worse. Uh, which is not to undermine how you're feeling, but rather to say you can still be in charge of yourself. Who am I? What do I know I'm good at? I mean, that's where I would start with a young person who's like, where do I even begin with work? I would say, you get to choose. You get to figure out what are you actually good at um, and want to get better at? 
That should be, that's a great place to begin when you're thinking about your work. But you should also love it. You should also be excited by it, right? We are, we are in a place of choice. There are infinite options in the work world. And now more than ever, a young person can say, you know what? I'm good at this and I love this and I'm going to pursue that. And, uh, and then the question becomes, where are you going to live in order to do that work? Because maybe you want to be a teacher, but you're being raised in a place that's you know, super unaffordable. Well, maybe you're not going to be a public school teacher in the town where you grew up. But there are plenty of towns in America that you can go to, some even recruiting young people to come with financial incentives where the cost of living is reasonable and you can live that life you want to live. It is possible, and I'm urging individuals to really appreciate you have more control than you realize. And as you're talking, I'm thinking of the word passionate comes, you know, you know, what are you good at, but what are you passionate about also? And you have the opportunity to pursue that. And, and even as you're describing teaching, you know, you may be able to teach in a different city or a different town. You may be able to teach online. There's a new, there are new avenues for teaching just as a result of maybe not, I mean, they're all different kind, different ways, I guess, of, of doing things that we did in a certain way before COVID that we do differently now, you know, so. Absolutely. I think remote yeah. work has been, you know, something that the younger generation certainly I really appreciate the notion that you don't have to get up, get out of bed, get a car or a bus or a train or a bike to a job where someone requires you to, you know, be there physically in person and you stay for this duration of time, and, you know, and then leave. It, that's a very old concept. And a lot of companies are recognizing that. I really actually, in some ways, feel sorry for the companies that are now forcing everybody back to work. It's like, wait a minute, don't you realize so much has changed? Don't you realize people were really productive working from home? Why are you now forcing people back to an old paradigm that's so expensive? You know, what if we could all work from our laptops? I think the younger generations are demanding that we ask these very important questions. I think another thing, Julie, is also just stepping back a little and as a social worker, in order to be able to achieve the kinds of things that you're talking about, these young adults uh, 20-somethings, 30-somethings, uh, have to be able to separate from whoever their parents are or whoever uh, grandparents or whomever is responsible yeah. for taking care of them. And they don't seem to do that really well, either the parents or the kids, because you have to really, that separation, individuation, and then you're able to go on to next. But they... Emotion. I don't necessarily mean that they're physically living at home, but just emotionally being able to yeah. separate that from the kind of parenting well, that you. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, Catherine. I you're you're singing my tune here, and I know yeah. since you're a social worker, you get it from that yeah. vantage point. And maybe I w- I'm going to say what I think, but I would love to turn the tables if you're willing, and for you to say as a social worker a little bit more about why separation slash individuation is really critical. Let me tell you from my perspective. I was a college dean. I was seeing way too many highly accomplished young people, highly attended by parents who weren't separated from their child, who felt, who almost treated the child, the student, like they were a dog on a leash. I've used that term already. And I was like, yo, folks, what are you going to do when you're gone? One day you will be gone. And this tiny little creature you think is helpless, which isn't helpless, but will be helpless if you continue to do everything for them, they'll finally be on their own, and then what? So I wrote this first book, How to Raise an Adult, really about the imperative of us parents 
to teach our kids the skills, uh, to help them grow resilience um, so that they can be separate from us and individuated and know that they have agency. Uh, that is a sense of I can accomplish things in my own life. And you're absolutely right that 20 and 30-somethings who were raised this way lack that. And psychologists have told me, look, it's, it, um, it, it's this enmeshment that is really quite unhealthy. It looks like love, but it's really undermining the young person's abilities. I've had calls from uh, news, newspapers trying to interview me about parents are showing up to rent a co-op in New York City for their, air quotes, adult child. Parents are showing up at divorce lawyer consultations with their, quote, adult child. What do you make of this, Julie? And what I say is it's just this overparenting going to its, log- its, its illogical conclusion, which is this parent has constructed a relationship with a now adult person where that young adult child feels, I'm not capable I need my parent to tell me how to conduct myself in an interview. I need my parent to ask the tough questions for me or to handle the tough bureaucratic situations for me. And those parents have made it their purpose. They don't realize they've, they've sort of raised this kid like veal. You know, it's like a veal calf is not ready to live a life. A veal calf is ready to be slaughtered and eaten. You know, that's what this sort of carefully curated childhood into young adulthood into actual adulthood is, you know, it feels like at an existential level for that adult child, they're not ready and they know it and their parents know it. And it's not the young adult's fault. Well, there's a, as you say, it's, it's, they say it's because of love, but maybe it's really, it's not because they love them. If they love them, they would let them go. Uh, but there is a certain, I think, and I'm going to use the word high, a certain high that parents get from how important they are and, you know, how because they're so integrated in their children's lives and they've saved them and taken care of them and babied them until they're 20 or 30. But, you know, it starts in, I, I remember, and I'm older than you are, I'm a baby boomer, but I, in high school or in, even in middle school where they're calling you up because your kid didn't get in, you know, track B or track C or got with the wrong teacher or, and, and I used to really ignore those calls. My kid is going to just have to adapt to whatever the situation. And then, you know, unless there's something really wrong, uh, I'm not going to get involved in that changing things around so that everything is quite perfect for my kid. Um, but it, it starts very young and it, and as you say, and it, and it doesn't stop. And, uh, but parents uh, get off on it. I mean, it makes them feel good. It makes them, yeah. and I, yeah, it does. It does. And you know what? I was on um, Kelly Corrigan's podcast some months ago, and she said something that just completely spoke to what you've just said. You just said parents are getting a certain high from solving their kids' problems. And I totally agree with you. And the way Kelly Corrigan put it, the inverse of that is kids also would receive an incredible high from solving their own problems. So we're depriving them of, let's call it the high, let's call it the buzz. Let's call it the juice, the delicious satisfaction of, hey, I took care of that. You know, there's, there's this tremendous sense of, of capability we're infused with when we solve our own problems. And, you know, and it's mucky and it's not beautiful, you know, and it's difficult. That's how, that's the buzz that we all need. So the parents getting the buzz instead of the kids is precisely the problem. And then you made an important point a caveat, which I completely agree with, Catherine, which is unless 
something is really wrong. And I think what it boils down to is we parents, since the mid-80s, frankly, when all of this overparenting began, we've decided that something going wrong is, oh, my kid fell and had a boo-boo. Oh, my kid got rejected from a club. Oh, my kid didn't turn in homework. We've decided the mundane things that happen in life are emergencies that we need to solve. It's like we're playing a game of bowling. You know, our kid is trying to bowl the game of life, but we've made ourselves those bumper rails, and we've brought ourselves, instead of just protecting them from the gutters of life, we've brought ourselves as those bumper guards right in to be right next to either side of the ball. So all of our, all our kids need to do is throw that ball, and they're guaranteed to hit 10 pins. Well, what happens? In other words, we've prevented them from all of the meandering that would teach them how to knock down all 10 pins because we're so worried if they don't knock down all 10 pins every single time there'll be failures in life, we have it completely backwards. We have to stay in our lane. We have to be the bumper guardrails to make sure they don't die. But otherwise, let life teach them the lessons that will give them the high, give them the buzz, strengthen them, teach them the skills, make them feel competent and resilient. Competent and resilient. Yeah, that's exactly, those are the words. We have to be able to experience the loss, experience the grief, go through it, because as you say, good stuff happens in life and then the bad stuff happens and we have to be able to, I think, resil- be, be, be resilient and also another word that's been used a lot is is pivot. I remember my own father when I would ask him to do things and and he would say to me, and he was a lawyer like yourself, and he would say, you know what, I know how to do that. I've done that, but now you have to learn how to do that. I can do it. I can sit here and do it for you, whatever it was. But you need to be able to do that. And, uh, you know, that has sort of stuck with me during my whole lifetime. And I, I think that's what we're talking about. We 100% are talking about that. And your dad had great advice. And look, there's a way some parents say that in a really mean way. And that's not what you or I are advocating. Mm-hmm. Some parents would be like, I know how to do that. What's your problem? Can't yeah. you figure it out? Like, that's not what we're advocating. We're advocating for that loving, confidence-inspiring voice of your dad. Look, I know how to do that. But, hey, it's your turn. You know, of course I could do it. I've been a fourth grader. I've been in a lot of grade, right? I've been a young adult. I've rented my first apartment. I'm here for advice and guidance. But... Uh, hey, I want to see you give it a try because I believe you can. And that's the piece that's missing in modern parenting. I believe you can. When we do it for them, we're sending the implicit message, I don't think you can, therefore I have to. Why is it a surprise so many young adults feel they can't? And, of course, as you know, anxiety and depression are correlated with this lack of agency. If you don't grow up believing you are capable of doing the routine, mundane things in life that get a human through a day. If you've been sort of messaged with, oh, don't worry, I'll handle it, I'll handle it, I need to be on top of your deadlines, I need to yell at people on your behalf, it begins to whittle away at that young person's agency, and that leads to, or greater likelihood of having, anxiety and or depression. And so, look, let me get back to your turn. This book, this is me not blaming young people for their circumstance, not blaming them for any of their anxieties or conditions or struggles. This is me with the voice of passion for them saying, look, kid, you can do this. I am rooting for you to figure yourself out 
And yeah, things are challenging, but you're going to get that buzz, that high, that hit from figuring it out for yourself. And this wide open set of possibilities called adulthood or adulting awaits you. I have to admit, I did, I saw your TED talk and it was great. And one of the things, because you did mention you have two kids and you've been through some of this yourself. And so I always like to, you know, share that with us because I'm assuming that you were not the perfect parent in the beginning. <laughs> uh, maybe that's the wrong assumption. I don't know. Maybe you were, but uh, that you learned through your own family, your own children. Give us some insights into that. Oh my God, yeah. Catherine. I'm so glad I've known you now for 20 minutes because now I can really <laughs> open up, right? Yeah. Um, look, I have made all the mistakes. I um, I was a dean uh, rooting for other people's young adults to have agency and resilience and for their parents to back off. Seven years into my vociferous advocacy for my students to make their own way, not over-parented, I came home for dinner with my own two kids who were at the time 10 and 8, and I leaned over my 10-year-old's plate, and I began cutting his meat. And I was like, oh, Heck no, I'm one of those parents. I'm cutting the meat of a 10-year-old. I'm probably not going to be able to let go of him at 18. Why? Because there are innumerable skills a human has to learn between cutting your own food and really being equipped and confident that you're ready to leave home and go out into the world. So I realized with great mortification that I was the very parent that I was railing against eight, 10 years down the road on my own college campus. So it made me curious and a little humble about why we do it. I came to appreciate parents do it out of love and expediency. It's easier for me to cut the meat. It's quicker. Let's just get it over with. We're in such a hurry these days. But I had seen the future in other people's less equipped adult kids, and I didn't want to set my own up. Well, it turns out pivoting when my son was 10 wasn't quite enough. I had already instilled patterns that... Um, that were, um, that were going to make it hard for him to individuate. And he's now 22. We actually just did a podcast um, after we were both interviewed by uh, the local organization where we receive family therapy, uh, which we've engaged in very willingly, eagerly, my, my husband, son, and I, because we watched him crash and burn with mental health problems, with a lack of confidence in college, an extremely bright kid whose ADHD and anxiety really pummeled him. And we hadn't paid attention to those things because he was so smart. We didn't think they were issues, really. We didn't really focus on that. And we've really said, let's put, you know, you, he wanted to leave college. We're like, yep, that makes sense. You need to get well. You need to focus on your own wellness and rebuilding that sense of confidence. We, as your parents, need to get some therapy, some counseling to better understand the role we're playing, what is it we're saying and not saying that's either undermining you or helping? And here's one example. When my son faces a challenge, like a difficult email he has to write, or um, you know, he's worried about an upcoming conversation with his boss, my motherly heart will flutter like, uh, like my child is in danger and I want to handle it and protect. And every time I do that, I'm signaling to him, I'm worried about you. And I've learned what I'm supposed to signal is empathy, like, wow, I can see you're struggling. Do you want to talk it through? Do you need some ideas? But also signal, I know this is hard, kids, but you do hard things. And smile and walk away and watch his face as I walk away light up with, 
My mother believes that I can, which gives him an extra boost of his own self-confidence. So that's a glimpse, Catherine, of what I've been through as a parent. Definitely trying to practice what I preach. Well, thank you for sharing that story. And I guess maybe the moral is, I mean, cutting the meat was only the tip of the iceberg and you were aware of that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, cut it. So we only have a couple minutes left. I could go on and on. You're terrific. But uh, give us, you know, website and or websites to go to so people can continue with the conversation and follow you and also look at, they should watch your TED Talk as well. Um, So uh, Julie is the author of Your Turn, How to Be an Adult, Julie Lithcomb-Cott. Ames, um, websites. Yeah, great. Um, so first of all, to everyone listening, I really appreciate you hanging out with me and Catherine. Yeah. Hope you heard something that mattered. If you did, be curious. What was it that we talked about that you might want to take further into your own life? You can follow up with me at my website, juliliscotthames.com. That's my full name without the hyphen, .com. I also blog weekly at jliscotthames.bulletin.com. This is me being a nonfiction writer, a memoirist, someone willing to try to stare at the truth of our lived experience in this American moment and write about what I'm seeing, noticing, feeling, worrying about. I call it Julie's Pod, and uh, people who sign up for that, it's free, um, are part of Julie's Pod. So you can join me. You can be in conversation with me uh, through Julie's Pod, jlifcotthames.bulletin.com, and then on social everywhere, and jlifcotthames. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. As I say, great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Same here, Catherine. Be well. Appreciate you. You too. Bye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. (laughs) 